First Palm Media. You are listening to Mushing on First Paw Media. Visit our website at mushing.com. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and I'm here with Michelle and this is our nightly coverage of the 2024 Iditarod. We just made it back home from our trip down the river to Yentna Station. What a day it was. Michelle, how's it going tonight? Well, right now I'm thawing out. It is a little chilly, but my goodness, what a day. Let's set the scene if we can a little bit. But before we do that, let's talk about where folks are on the trail as we speak right now at 831 Alaska time. Uh, in first place is Millie Porcelet. Second is Will Rhodes. Third is Ryan Reddington. Fourth is Bryce Mumford. Fifth is Matt's Peterson, followed by Hunter Keefe, Jesse Holmes, Jesse Royer, Royer, and Matt Hall. And at the year, at the rear is Laura Kittleson and Deke. And I promise I am not going to try to say Deke's name for the rest of I did a rod. You mean his last name. His last name, his last name. So let's jump into this, Michelle. We pulled out of the garage at 10.30 this morning and made our way over to Willow Lake. It's about eight trail miles or so, eight or nine trail miles or so to the Willow Community Center. So we got there right around 11, parked the snow machine right there at the starting line. So set the scene for us a little bit. What did it look like at the Willow Community Center? And then we'll jump into what we did next. Well, at that time, there were already quite a few spectators that were already starting to stake their claim to a section of the lake. There was a lot of uh, snow machiners out and about, uh, you know, trying to catch glimpses of this and that. Um, some of the mushers had already hit the staging area. I'd say about a dozen or so of them were already there when we arrived. Um, we got settled in, made sure we knew exactly how we were going to get off Willow Lake so that we could get on down the trail after we did my 90 second interviews. And that was a lot of fun, for sure. As we said, the mushers started arriving at around 11 o'clock. All of them were in the staging area at the front of the community center. If you've never been there, that's right up next to uh, the Parks Highway there. And there was quite a bit of, of security and checkpoints, if you will, to get in there. Of course, uh, we were allowed in because we were media for mushing magazine and we went in and michelle got out her trusty zoom h6 recorder we've had that recorder forever that is by far one of my favorite piece of podcasting gear i love that little thing so michelle we're going to upload a lot of those stories if not tomorrow but over the next few days i think you talked to 15 people or so can you just give us like a five second sound bite if you can or a takeaway from some of the people you talked to maybe who did you talk to and just a quick uh, recap if you can 
Well, I talked to quite a few of them, and I think I want to leave that as a surprise because some of them gave us some very candid interviews, and I am hopeful that they told me something that they wouldn't have shared with anyone else, including the Iditarod. I I think that they see us as uh, one of them, and I really felt like that today because so many of them recognize you and I and were chomping at the bit to say congratulations on mushing and mushing magazine and they were super excited to give me that 90 second interview one of my favorites i will tell you was i got to nail down joshua robbins who i featured on last night's show as our musher profile and he's a very soft-spoken guy so when we play that soundbite robert might have to turn it up a bit but he dragged his lovely wife Brenda over and Brenda Joshua and I had a conversation that went well beyond 90 seconds but that's okay I fully believe in their cause and so I gave them the platform to talk a little bit longer and that's Outreach 22 and I'm going to remind everybody to go check that out tonight outreach22.com um I really had a great time uh, visiting with Jason Mackey. Uh, We've known Jason and Lisa since we moved here, and uh, I got a kick out of him. He brought coffee to his whole crew, so I had to wait for him to bring in the coffee. But uh, what a way to kick off his day. He was serving those that were going to serve him. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and I let Michelle do her thing with the with the recorder, and I just walked around. I talked to a few people, uh, a lot of folks I haven't seen in a long time. It was very cool to to just kick back a little bit and uh, really, really just chat for a second. And I will say that everybody seemed to be very laid back and jovial. Lots of high fives, lots of handshakes, lots of hugs. It was a very cool atmosphere. I've been in that starting shoot for several times now over the last decade or so that we've been here. And I would say today was probably one of the most kickback days that I've seen. Everybody just seemed to be getting prepared. Everybody was relaxing at least as much as they could. Of course, there was a lot going on. People packing their gear and changing runner plastic and all those last minute checks that you do, uh, some of the uh, drug testing was going on for the dogs and that sort of thing. Yeah, it Robert, was... I would like to talk about that. I had never witnessed that. And and I got to tell you, I, I literally was embarrassed for the dogs. Um, th- how would you feel getting a bungee type of a band stuck around a Ziploc bag and then placed on your penis because that's what I witnessed today. And I got to tell you guys, it looked like the most uncomfortable, unwanted procedure on the planet. One dog had to be walked around. Musher said, take him over by the tire. He'll go over there by the tire. And sure enough, he just needed a tire to give himself some confidence to let it go so that the vets could get their checks in. But, you know, that was quite a feat watching the vet techs, uh, put these things on these dogs. I didn't get to see any of the females done, but the males, man, it just looked uncomfortable. 
And one of the most important things that happens here in the starting shoot before everything kicks off is they attach the trackers to all of the sleds. And that is exactly what we're following along right here on the GPS tracker. And I will let you guys know that I, I signed up for the Iditarod Insider. We signed up for uh, the elite plan, if you will. So we're going to test it out, see how it, uh, see how it oh, goes. You jumped in all the way. All the way. So, so <laughs> they were attaching those trackers and we boogied on down to the starting chute to where our snow machine was parked. So we could make sure that we hit the trail before any teams went out. That was very important to us. And so we jumped on the snow machine. Now, and Robert, hold on a second. We got to give them a little bit of the spectator story. We were up at the uh, staging area for the mushers, and when we came back down to our machine, we we didn't have anything locked up or anything. And sure enough, there was about 10 or 15 people standing around our machine gawking at it, and they were just dying to know all the things about it. And come to find out, these were people that had recently moved to Palmer, Alaska, and they weren't sure what kind of snow machine they should be getting themselves into. So Robert was nice enough to chat it up with them a little bit and give them the dog musher's perspective of a good machine. Yep, we have a Skidoo uh, Expedition LE, I believe it is, the 900 one. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. So we jumped on our machine and hit the lakes. And as we've said, and many people have said over and over through the years, uh, you go over several lakes uh, on your way down to Corral Hill. I think it's about six or seven miles or so over all of these lakes. All of these lakes are pretty populated. And as I told you guys last night, it truly is the world's largest uh, tailgate party. Lo longest. Longest. And that was a lot of fun. And remember, guys, this was Michelle's first time. So I'm going to ask her a bunch of questions as we go. And she can say as much or as little as she wants uh, as, as we get our way down to Yetna. But as we worked our way across the lakes... Lots and lots of people there with the barbecues and the bonfires and snow machines and pop-up tents and Arctic ovens and the whole nine yards. So tell us a little bit about what you thought it was like from the starting shoot until we got just before Corel Hill. Maybe tell us about that little overlook that you saw. I, I've got to tell you guys, uh, the first thought I had was I missed an opportunity at getting our brand out there. I need a flag for my snow machine. I don't know how I would attach it, but I need a flag large enough for everyone to see who I am and why I'm going by. And, and I just got to say, you guys, when we went by, everybody was just starting to set up their uh, little sections. Everybody had wood for bonfires and you know kids are everywhere and just everybody really having a good time it is the entire reason why people fall in love with this sport because it's such a large sense of community and that goes all the way from willow restart to yentna station from what i could tell now what i gotta tell robert is that it was it was absolutely uh, just, it was breathtaking views, but I had a smile on my face the entire time. 
until we got to Corral Hill. But before where, before we get to Corral Hill, tell us a little bit about that overlook that we stopped at. I had been there. I remember that's stopping. That's where I was going. Yeah, I remember stopping there for the first time 13 years ago. And I remember that view myself. Uh, set the scene for that. Well, we didn't have bluebird skies today, you guys, which is uh, unfortunate, but we had great temperatures for the dogs and not a glaring sunshine for the mushers. So it, it turned out to be great for them. But at this turnout on the trail, you are literally standing on a cliff, literally, that's probably a hundred maybe 150 feet above the river. And it is spectacular views. You look to your right and you're looking towards uh, Deshka Landing, which is where all the boats put in out of Willow. And if you look to your left, you're looking at Mount Susitna or what we call Sleeping Lady. And you can literally see for miles in that direction. It, it's absolutely gorgeous, but it's also... Um, awesome it's awe-inspiring and and you really get a understanding quickly of just how massive the Susitna River is so we made it to Corel Hill which is I guess the first challenge on the Iditarod Trail it's a uh Pretty steep little dog leg to the left as you hit down into one of the sloughs that live that moves over to the Sioux River. I know that uh, that you're holding on pretty tight going down that hill. You had me filming. God knows what it looks like, but you had me filming, and I could only hang on with one hand. I think my eyes were closed most of the time, kind of like on a roller coaster. But I gotta tell you guys, I set myself up for. Uh, what I refer to as a chunk moment. If any of you Goonies fans are out there, you know who chunk is. And I had a little bit of a freak out because over the years, I've heard such terrifying stories about Corral Hill. And I got to tell you guys, we run dogs on the other side of the highway on the uh, east side on the Hessler Norris trail system. And our trails um, are quite narrower, and in my opinion, and I'm not a seasoned dog musher by any stretch of the words, but I, I would say that our trails are a little bit more technical than the part that we were on today. When you leave the start in Willow, it is over a lake and through a little patch of woods across a couple of roads that are heavily guarded by trail guards. And then by the time you get to this spot before you hit Corral Hill, where we had our lookout, it it's fairly easy mushing in in those sections Corral hill is your first technicality um where you've really got to be on your toes and paying attention and that is because when you come off of the hill you're literally going from uh flat to a 45 degree angle and then as the hill goes down it veers off to the right and as it veers off to the right, however the trail has been groomed can sometimes catch you off guard because it could tip you literally a little bit to the left instead of taking it easy and going to the right. And then you drop down onto the slough portion and then you make an 
immediate left hand turn. And so that's where it is. It's literally an S curve, if you will, um, coming off of the top of the hill and you're dropping down a good 75 to 100 feet at that point of the river. And so what makes it difficult is that it's a hairpin turn as you are dropping off the the uh, slough and making that hard left. So we hit the river and we hit the river running. We kept it up to about uh, 30, 35 miles an hour. It was a little chilly on the snow machine, but uh, we were rocking and rolling. And we made it on our way to one of the trademark or I should say most popular areas of this little bit of a run, and it's called Scary Tree. And that is the confluence of the Big Sioux and the Yetna River. There literally used to be a scary tree that hung over. That is now gone, but there was quite a few people there, wasn't there? There had to be 50 people hanging out at Scary Tree. And I was excited to get to see Scary Tree. And then I was disappointed because I still wanted there to be a scary tree. I'm just thinking that we need to we need to erect a monument out there, but I'm sure everybody else thinks that too. So that is at about uh, 16 miles. It's halfway. About it, halfway. It, yeah, it, it was exactly halfway. halfway from the restart to Yentna. So we turn right there, head up the Yentna River and make our way up there. There was still quite a few people on, on the river there. You see the... Uh, the large bonfires and the tailgates, and you see the occasional couch that has been pulled out occasional. there. Occasional? <laughs> I think I counted half a dozen couches, and we're not talking any small piece of furniture. We're talking large enough that they had their own trailers erected for them. Right. So we get to Yetna Station at about 3.45, I believe it was, if, if my memory is serving correctly. So we pulled up there at uh, well before dark, and we settled in for a little bit. And I know Michelle had said on one of our earlier podcasts this year that this was a bucket list item for her. She had never been out this far. I think this is one of the furthest she's ever been in, quote, the Alaska wilderness. I know she's been to Nome and some other places like that, but uh, this is the probably the furthest that she's ever been. It's the off, furthest It's the furthest I've been on a snow machine. On a snow machine, or definitely off-road, meaning uh, without uh, uh, road support or air support. So we pull into Yetna Station, set the scene for that, starting at uh, what the shoot looks like for, for the teams, and then working our way up the little hill. So as you come in and around... The first thing that you see is probably a 20-foot bonfire that has been built, not lit yet. Um, and so that, I was like, wow, that's huge. And the dogs are going to be running right towards this huge fire. And I was just curious about how the dogs would feel about that. Um, so as we uh, come up and around, you see some new construction which I was surprised by. There's a couple of new little cottages up in there. And then you come around the bend and lo and behold, there's Yetna Station. And it was smaller than I expected. I expected it to be a little bit larger. You know what they say. I expected you to be taller. 
I expected this lodge to be larger. And I'm not talking about Aspen Ski Lodge large, you guys. I just expected it to be bigger than my own house. Um, Robert and I live in a log cabin that was built right around 1965. And we have one of the largest log cabins and one of the oldest log cabins in the Nancy Lake Creek area. And um, it's 2,250 square feet, which is very large for a cabin that was built in 1965. Yetna Station was built in 1981. And Meredith Mapes did confirm with me that my house is bigger than the lodge. And um, she knows that firsthand because she's the checkpoint monitor uh, for the comms there at the Yentna station and she's been in my home. And so we kind of got to laugh about that. And I can't wait for you to hear that interview I did with Meredith Mapes. Uh, Cause you see you guys, I interviewed more than just the mushers today. So we walk into Yetna Station, and it is a buzz of activity. Oh, my God. There, there were 58 people that slept there last night, according to Gene, the owner. And there had to have been, I don't know, 30 children inside when we walked in, all ranging from age 2 to age 16. So we sat down, got settled in, and ordered uh, lunch slash dinner, uh, a, ch a chili dog and a Coke. The chili dog was $10, I believe, and the Coke was $2. And then we no, just... No, your chili dog was seven. $7. and $2 for a Coke. And everybody was very nice, even though it was very busy. We had dogs walking around the house. We had uh, volunteers. We had families. We had kids. We had... We had everything going on. Yes, the dogs. There were three dogs in and out of the house the entire time. There was a probably a four-month-old chocolate lab. The big black dog, his name was Radar. I found out he was only nine months old, but he was already full-grown, super big dog. So I uh, had a couple of minutes to talk to Jean Gaberzak. I had not seen her since we were out there in 2017 with our expedition that we did with UAA. It was good to catch up with her and, and chat for a little bit. Uh, she was very busy uh, doing the Yetna thing that they do. There was just so much activity going on. And we stayed there to about 5.30. And that was at about about the time that teams were supposed to start arriving. We wanted to get out back on the trail before that happened so we could catch all of the teams coming in to the first checkpoint along the river. And I tell you what, within just a couple of minutes... And we wanted action shots. We didn't want them... We didn't want to get photos of them in the checkpoint because... That's where everybody else is taking the yep. same photos. So I think within a half a mile, uh, we saw our first teams come in and most of the teams still had on their bibs and we caught most of the team's pictures. I have no idea. Oh, so you guys have to understand some of them, Robert didn't slow the snow machine down slow enough for me to get good pictures. So God only knows what we ended up with. Uh, yeah, so we got as many as we possibly could. They were spread out for about uh, 15 miles or so. Uh, some of them were pretty clumped up. And if you're following the trackers, you would probably know at this point 
who was running past us as we were running. Uh, but it was so fun. So it was really interesting. We saw Anna Barrington and Millie first. And then I, I got to tell you, I found one of the most interesting things ever was we saw Ryan and Dallas back to back. And you noticed something in particular about both of their teams or at least one of their teams. Yeah, they it looked like they were already resting dogs. Dallas in particular, as he ran by, uh, he had some empty spots already in his dog team. And they were empty because the tug lines were dragging. So it would appear to me, and I don't know exactly if he did start with 16. I guess I could check the tracker, but he already had some empty spots in his team, which would Beg to differ that he was uh, resting. So he was back to back with Ryan Reddington. And it was so cool, Michelle. We we pretty much stopped for every team along the along the river there. And I couldn't believe how many people knew who we were just as we were sitting there and they were running by. You know, they were just as happy to see us. And part of that was because every one of them that I interviewed, I said, we'll see you in Yetna. So they were looking for us. And I think the coolest thing was when Laurel Eklund ran by. He uh, he was posing. He was posing for us, and we stopped, and, and we even we even shared a little bit of conversation as he ran by. He said, "Hey, Robert and thanks, Michelle." And, he did say my name. Yeah, thanks for <laughs> thanks for coming out. I really appreciate it. We gave him a thumbs up and said goodbye, and we also saw. Several other people. I can't think right off the top. Uh, we well, did... we saw Laura Kittleson. Oh yes, enjoying that was, a that bowl of chili. Enjoying a bowl of chili. I think she may have been handed by one of the uh, partiers. But yeah, she was eating a bowl of chili, and I called her out on it. I said, "Are you enjoying your dinner?" And she started giggling and she said, I sure am. Yeah. So we, we saw everybody run by. I think everybody was at least past Scary Tree by the time uh, we made that uh, left turn. So meaning they were at least halfway to Yetna as we uh, as we turned left. And then we had another 15 or so miles of pretty much just us out on the river, a few snow machines would pass us here and there. But before we jump back on the trails, heading back into Willow, what did you think about that ride up the river? You've been on the back of a snow machine or driving a snow machine for, for many years, but you've never done a river run before. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's like? What is the scenery like? How wide is it? How bumpy is it? What is it like? Um, the... The rivers, the Susitna and the Yetna, are as wide as the Mississippi River. Um, so if you've ever seen the Mississippi River, you can just imagine it's pretty dang wide. Um, there are portions of both rivers where it seems wider than that. Um, but you have to understand the rivers in Alaska are much different than the Mississippi River. You're not going to see a steamboat out on the Yetna or the Big Sioux because there are so many places on those rivers where we actually end up with a lot of silt and a lot of landmass areas and the river, whatever it decides to do during breakup determines how much water is actually going to be flowing through the rivers. Um, it was 
uh, some I what I expected and some of it I didn't expect. I expected to um, see a little bit more ice built up. Um, this year, Robert said, <clears throat> excuse me, it seemed very smooth. Um, I know that when he took our friend Alex Stein out to Yetna Station, it was a very rough ride that year. Um, so I call myself lucky in the fact that we weren't bounced around too much. Um, it, it's breathtaking, the views. Uh, you can see for miles, I counted seven eagles' nests, uh, and I did see two eagles. We saw a handful of ravens. Um, a lot of bunny tracks. I didn't see any moose or moose tracks, although we were told that there could have been a moose hanging out in the Squintna checkpoint area. Um, but it was just, it, we were blessed today with great weather and uh, it was a fun day. It was a fun day. So we made it back to Willow proper at about 10 minutes to eight. And then we made it onto our home trails and pulled in at about 8.20. So we were gone for a little less than 10 hours. I think that's pretty cool that we can go that far into the Alaskan wilderness right from our living room there and back in a half a day. It was a day. It was, it was a whole day. So here we are. We are back home. We are back with our nightly coverage of the Burled Arch podcast. We do not have a musher profile. Uh, of... Yeah, we do. Oh, you do? Why, why wouldn't we have a musher profile? Who do you have? We have the Mushing Mumfords. This would be Bryce Mumford. Bryce is from Preston, Idaho. And he, uh, I interviewed him earlier today. He was nervous, but excited about the race. And, um, I'm going to dive into his website real quick here. Uh, it's a nice one. He's got up here. He says he loves training and going to races with his family. He competed in Montana, Idaho, Oregon, and Utah. He did let me know that they ha struggled a bit to get a lot of uh, runs in because of the lack of snow in the lower 48 this year. Um, so that was an interesting conversation I had with him. Uh, he says on his website that he lives and trains in Preston, Idaho, and in 2009, he saw a television series covering the Iditarod and thought, I'd like to try that. I don't know how many times I've heard that, Robert. He made his contact with a local Iditarod musher, Sue Morgan, who agreed to take him on a dog sled ride, and after that, he was hooked. And I do know that I've heard that story several times before. So just like every one of us who saw a dog team and wanted to try it, he got out there and gave it a shot. And today he is going down the trail so that he can fulfill his dreams. And, you know, that's what a lot of them said to me today. This is a dream come true. And you caught me there, Michelle. I do not know anything about 
Mr. Mumford. I've never had him on the podcast and I haven't followed him too much. I think that that's going to be interesting to follow somebody that I don't know much about. And I know you did a couple of other interviews with people that don't get a lot of the spotlight. And I think that's what's really going to be cool when we do those those profiles up in the next day or two. So here we are, guys, uh, day one, day two, I guess, of the 2024 Iditarod is underway. People are on their way to Nome. There are uh, three people at the time of this recording, which is about 8, or excuse me, 9 p.m. Alaska time. There were three people resting in Yetna as we speak, but not a lot of people stop there. So most people will go up to Squintna and either uh, camp right before or right after and then work their way through the woods on their way to the Alaska Range. We will be back tomorrow night for our nightly coverage of the Burled Arch. And will you please do us a favor, two favors, if you will, definitely head over to mushing.com and check us out. If you're not a subscriber, hit that subscribe button. We would love to have you come along. There's going to be a heck of a lot of new content. And people were so excited that we ran into at uh, at the uh, Willow Restart about all the things that we're launching. And it's not just the print magazine, guys. I know a lot of people are hung up on having a print issue of the magazine, but I'm telling you, you guys are not getting coverage like this anywhere else. Of course, they're Insider and they're other podcasts and all that sort of stuff, but you're getting a different perspective than you've ever received from Mushing Magazine before. So yes, there will be a print issue. Our plan is to print that issue in late April and get it out to you in, in your mailbox shortly thereafter. So we are working hard with that, but we have a lot of stuff going on over at mushing.com. So make sure you head over there and hit that subscribe button and uh, give us some love, if you will. Support us if you can with our new adventures with Mushing Magazine. And if that's too much, just hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast and maybe tell your family members and friends about the Burled Arch Podcast. Other than that, we will see you guys next time. Goodbye. Nobody covers dog sledding like mushing from First Paw Media. Our team of athletes, volunteers, race organizers, and mushers like Robert and Michelle Forto brings you closer to the sport. If it's happening, we are there. Live from the qualifying races in January and February, the Iditarod in March, and in the summer, mushing takes you on the road with our team and trail tour. We connect you with a history of the sport, in-depth interviews with the top mushers, and great storytelling and breaking news all year long. Follow on mushing.com.